My name is Dr. Nate Shanock. And my name is Merrick Egbert. This is the official podcast of the Ells for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name, and Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm a member of our growing research team. When I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant. Uh, not for long. Filling in the gaps of each department like glue. And I am actually forming a career within the um, Else for Autism Foundation. And I am also autistic. So this is our 33rd episode of the podcast, Doing Globally, with special guests, advisory board member, James A. Williams and Kai Manai Davis of the Golf Trust. Both individuals have important roles when we talk about the global scope of reaching out to making sure that everyone with autism can have the same standard of treatment and potential. So make sure to stay tuned for their interviews on part A of the podcast. Also on part A is, a, is our foundation news and updates where you will learn more about what we have been doing as a foundation, what we are doing and what we will be doing. What we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which for part B, Listeners will get to hear our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. Also check our show notes for websites, resources, and other groovy things we would like to have on the written record for all of you for autism fans. And today in the world of autism, where we take a look at Nate, and of course, myself's um, human uh, interest stories and research-oriented stories. And now here's Nate. All right, Merrick, thanks for bringing us in to everybody's favorite segment today in the world of autism. So I'd like to first start off by discussing uh, an ongoing debate, we could call it, in the autism community. And this has been whether it's preferable to refer to an individual on the spectrum as autistic or as a person having autism. So there's been some dialogue back and forth between advocates and also family members of autism, uh, of, of an individual with autism. And just recently, there has finally been a research study conducted to try to help us to settle this score. Um, traditionally, or I'm sorry, uh, this study was conducted on 728 uh, participants that have either personal experience with autism um, by way of a family member. Um, other participants were 
working in the field. And then lastly, the majority of the sample actually had individuals with autism. So there has been a push in the community traditionally to use person first language, which would correspond to uh, a person with autism. And this would be in order to emphasize the strengths of the individual rather than putting their disability at the forefront of their title. However, many self-advocates have actually argued for the use of so-called identity first language, which includes terms like autistic or disabled. And the purpose of this would be to embrace their diagnosis as an important and acceptable component of who they are. So in this study, they surveyed 200 adults that had a diagnosis, 81 parents, four family members or friends, 207 autism professionals, and 97 people with no ties to the community. So quote unquote outsiders. In this study, which was published in the widely respected journal Autism, that's one of the hallmark golden standard journals in the field of autism. The results showed that the vast majority of adults with a diagnosis, 87%, preferred the identity first language, such as I am autistic, to describe themselves. Interestingly, parents also showed this strong preference for identity first language in describing their child. However, the trend flipped for the autism professionals and also the friends and other family members that were surveyed. People in these groups were more likely to prefer person-first terms, while those with no affiliation to the autism community were pretty evenly split on whether to use the person-first, which would be a uh, person with autism, versus the uh, identity-first, which would be autistic language. So this is a little bit of a different article for me to cover. Um, you know, they did, they did survey a host of different types of people on this matter. Um, so I want to ask Merrick, what is your take on these results? Are you surprised by them? And what would be your own personal preference if I, uh, if it's okay for me to put you on the spot? Well, actually, um, it's a hot button issue. Um, we have actually wanted to uh, um, speak uh, to uh, our advisory board about um, the topic because it is uh, so relevant as an issue. And of course, it really isn't that surprising um, of course, uh, self-advocates uh, would like to uh, have it be their diagnosis first um, because it, it is all about the identity. Um, and it, it underscores whomever they are as, as it is, I believe that a large part of my being has to do with um, autism. And there's 
really not that much of a way around it. So, but, mm, you know, family members, friends, uh, and actually it is through the survey that um, Dr. Toby Hansberger has uh, taken to, uh, to be relevant to all kinds of things, cultural uh, things, identity first things. And I think that um, professionals and I say maybe um, parents would be more inclined to look at uh, a person first. I think um, that if you want to um, it's it's kind of a basically a tie of sorts, but I think that if you want to uh, look at self-advocates and look at people who have autism, I would perhaps um, allow me to say that I, I know that professionals and uh, friends and family members, um, I respect you all dearly, but I think that it is kind of settled that if you want to refer to an adult with autism, I would just say to refer to an autistic adult. Yeah. However, um, as another layer, perhaps that is with uh, individuals who can't speak for themselves, who have very few words, um, that they want to prefer being a person first than an identity. But it is, of course, where you look for water or you look for a river or you look for a stream, um, you go to where the water goes. So therefore, with each individual who would like to um, speak for themselves and whoever they are, you know, I, I think that they should um, be as, as an authority as, as it is within um, the community itself. So I think that if I was to say uh, person first versus identity first, I would perhaps um, use autistic rather than person with autism because <laughs> the blind, the, the, say, um, the deaf, 
I don't know if I should be saying person with blindness um, because I would prefer to say uh, blind person or deaf person because that is an important part of their uh, relation. And it doesn't minimize uh, the strengths that they uh, give. Um, and actually it maximizes the strengths that they give. For example, um, Ray Charles. Yes, he was extremely talented, but he learned to play piano when he was blind or at least he had a, a lot of practice by the time he was blind. So I, I think that it is maybe um, just, uh, just time to hold uh, a consensus here and maybe um, you know, as far as, as they're concerned, as far as um, I'm concerned, and as far as uh, so many people are concerned, just autistic. It's not a scary word. It's not a bad word. It's not, um, and, and I use the terms interchangeably, but it really shouldn't be that way. It, it should be, you know, um, it, it, it should it should be that the yeah. people who can say um, whether they agree with it or not, they use the term autism, and it's it's not it's not it it probably should be uh, used as a rejoinder of the community as a whole. And it's, it's not a, a scary word. Yeah, that's really well said. And, you know, I think it sounds like from what you're saying, the results of this study support this perspective from people that actually have a diagnosis, which is that, you know, we're not, um, we're not feeling shame about this word. And, you know, um, we want to be proud champions of it. And so, um, you know, we we're comfortable using the that identity first language. Yeah. And uh, so basically, OK, uh, person person with Judaism. OK. Yeah. We're thinking as, the same thing as I relate to an identity first language. It is a Jewish person. And so no matter what it is, no matter how, you know, how much it, it is to be helpless or to have strong feelings about the way the autism or, or the way that autism is affecting their child, it's still in the end an autistic individual. It, it doesn't really matter what um, the person is and what the, you know, it, it's just uh, about the semantics. 
And so, you know, uh, for the profound end of the spectrum, for the higher end of the spectrum, um, probably should be a, 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 a consensus um, that, you know, it's, it's not a scary word, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll transition to um, my second story here, which covers the topic of pain sensations for individuals with autism. It's also a topic that's received some debate and, you know, um, some, there's been some misconceptions on it over the years. So the results I'll present, they came from a, a vital study that was conducted by researchers at the University of Haifa in Israel, which was recently published in the journal Pain. And this study highlighted um, the uh, finding that, that debunked a misconception that individuals with autism experience less pain. And they actually found that the reverse is true. So the researchers aimed to test this common misconception uh, that people with autism are hyposensitive to pain, meaning that they experience less pain based on certain diagnostic criteria that autistic people demonstrate indifference to pain or extreme temperatures. And I remember this being a component of a lot of the early developmental assessments that we do uh, when we screen for autism is we use, you know, something that has an extreme cold temperature like an ice pack, and we'll also use a heating pad. And we'll see um, how individuals with autism react to that versus, um, you know, neurotypical children. And there, there are some differences in the outward presentation of the reaction. So that's what has sort of led to this misconception. The researchers perform laboratory examinations of pain perception in 104 adults, 52 of whom had ASD. And this is the largest sample to date to actually analyze this uh, phenomenon. On quantitative sensory tests, there were no differences in thermal and pain detection thresholds between the autistic and non-autistic groups. However, the autistic group consistently scored significantly higher with regard to the subjective ratings of pain, suggesting some level of hypersensitivity to pain. The tests also provided evidence that people with autism can successfully inhibit short pain stimuli, but not long-lasting pain stimuli. Interestingly, this may suggest that the brains of individuals with autism are more effective in producing heightened pain response, but less effective in inhibiting chronic pain that is continuous. So it would be interesting for follow-up research to be done looking at chronic pain presentation in autism and, and whether, you know, these, these types of conditions are more prevalent. So Merrick, 
wanted to ask you, have you previously heard of this assumption that individuals with ASD have reduced um, pain threshold? And uh, what do these results mean for diagnosis criteria? Um, it's actually very, very interesting because um, I, um, I don't, I, I basically meld into whatever um, weather situation it is. And I can take a little bit of the, of the cold. And so I, I don't, I, I think that it is because when you're running into a, a grass of tunnel vision, uh, then it really doesn't matter what pain is and what uh, cold um, is or what hot is. Um, it's just running a mile into the different things that don't really matter, I guess. And uh, it's, it's interesting because of the sensory processing disorders uh, relevant to uh, the autism spectrum disorder. Um, <clears throat> so, it's, uh, I, I had a thought in my head, but unfortunately, I, I have to come knocking at the door because, oh yeah, so yeah, I mean, through external presentation, through, um, you know, delivery. Um, and it isn't surprising that, um, you know, the, the wants and needs like food, uh, shelter, water is, is not as instantaneous like as it is with uh, the basic human wants and needs. And of course, um, um, you know, how difficult it is to use your words and how difficult it is to use language is of course um, ap appropriate to it, of course. Um, as it is, uh, so does this revolutionize your uh, diagnosis development as to how uh, individuals shoulder pain or is it basically um, just giving a more informed response, but, uh, but the diagnosis is is not one hundred percent wrong. 
Yeah. You know, um, it's interesting. I think this is an excellent example of that we, we can't always make assumptions about, you know, what people are thinking or what they're feeling uh, just based on what we observe. Uh, we've talked a lot about how for individuals with autism that are, are nonverbal, you know, there was maybe this poor assumption for a long time that they didn't actually want to socialize or communicate with other people. And, you know, we know now that that's simply not the case. And um, this is just an excellent example of how we need to get creative in terms of understanding uh, different phenomenon in autism, because it just, it, the reactions will likely not look the same. Um, and I think it's, it's excellent, you know, that they, in this study, they had an opportunity to survey some adults, um, you know, that could actually give reported perceptions of the painful sensation. And this is now what debunked this. And it, um, it should shake things up a little bit for when we do these types of tests for toddlers and, and young children, you know, that maybe aren't as likely to verbalize what they're feeling. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting consideration. There's probably still more research. Uh, actually, there's definitely more research that needs to be done. Yeah, and part of it, I guess, is uh, what makes me so stubborn, of course. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll have to take um, I'll have to take another uh, example in my place to uh, take it because um, <clears throat> if if I ever get tested, of course. But uh, I've just uh, I've just had a, I've just have a very very stubborn complex. So I, yeah. I I'm not really uh, a reliable indicator. That's why we love you. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll pass I'll pass on the torch to you now. Enough research for today. Okay. So the first story is basically what I call the love story. Unfortunately, it has been 36 years alone, but I've been making progress. Earlier in the month, I actually went on my first date, though I believed that it didn't work out. Yet it was a valuable experience and it wasn't difficult to empathize with her. This was the month before I found stalwart winds blowing and unfortunately the gust of wind was hot air. I called it off since she asked for my bank account information. So I saw Love on the Spectrum, U.S. edition. Of course, Dr. Carrie Magro consulted, and I actually found it to be heartwarming. While portraying a wide range on the spectrum, it is interesting how I have seen myself in these characters, especially Steve, because he would be an excellent broadcast voice and maybe, uh, maybe give me a run for my money. 
I think that Danny Bowman represents all who are looking to find love. That is, you have a set of demands, as do I, but when you're in love, there is time to be logical and time to be emotional. I'm not going to tell you how the, how the most momentous feeling went. It's a family show, but I was fearful of being vulnerable and of being taken advantage of. It was over Thanksgiving holiday. I think from my conclusion, I think that I'm a great catch, but I'll just keep looking. Nate, how would you like to summarize this year? Merrick, you are absolutely a catch. And, uh, you know, some, some woman out there is going to be very lucky to have you one day. So just, just keep at it. Um, you, you're making great progress and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of, of when, um, not if. So as far as how I would summarize this year, um, you know, it's a, it's a difficult question. I, I actually feel that this year has passed by fairly quickly. I was speaking to some coworkers today and they echo that same sentiment. Uh, for me personally, it's been, um, you know, it's been um, an, a, a year full of some, some ups and downs. And, um, you know, I think one of the important lessons I've learned is that you should never wait um, to, to do what you want to do in life or to, you know, chase after your dream. Um, there's, there's no time like the present. And also that life should really be about uh, a balance of different things. Even if you're very, very good at doing one thing, let's, let's say it's work, um, you know, you don't want to, you, you want to experience the full spectrum of life. And, and that should include not just your job, but also some kind of recreational activity it should include passions like learning music or learning a new language. It should, of course, include time with family and friends. Um, so I think it's it's a little bit cliche to say, and, and I know it's said a lot, um, but just being well-rounded and, um, you know, trying to always evolve and be better. Such a great um, paragraph or um, statement, of course, of wisdom that is um, what you have uh, brought to me this year. Thanks, Merrick. So uh, I have uh, to say that um, it's a little bit, um, how can I say it? A little bit unusual, but I think that it should be said because it is, I really uh, wish that nothing is too personal with the show. So 
I think that it should be said, and it's with personal details on the show, I got a lot accomplished, and I'm happy with how it went. But as it is, I'm not representing myself. I represent a form of autism, and I guess I would need another label that a stroke survivor. It was a Tuesday, pretty much like any other Tuesday, just something was wrong. I perspired, which I didn't need to, and I got sent home. Something was wrong. I fell asleep when I had to, but something was wrong when I woke up. I lost control, and so I fell asleep again, believing it was something to get out of my system. And, oh, you need some sleep. When I came to, I could only pronounce two to three words, so all right. And I really wanted to speak. I really wanted to communicate. Then came the hospital. While I was a veteran of these parts, it was physically incapacitating rather than mental incapacitating. I had taken advantage of, uh, I had taken advantage as to how I talked, how I spoke, what my mind has granted me, its powers. So the MRI and CAT scan came in. It was a smaller stroke, it, but it specialized in attacking the speech patterns, communication, something called aphasia. So I modified my lifestyle, took blood thinners and baby aspirin and got help from the speech therapist in the hospital and my parents. I mustn't forget how my work helped me through these dark days and how I grew through leaps and bounds to be uh, facing you um, as part of the December podcast today. And I am very, very grateful for it. Friday, I got released and as to, and at, at, <clears throat> and at, it is to my stubbornness and resistance that I have come back. Now there is a little bit of fog, unfortunately, but I will have cl it cleared up in no time. And I thank you for helping put together this podcast today as I've mentioned before, but I can't say it enough. Nate, what is the most treasured inspirational story of the year? First of all, Merrick, we're so extremely grateful that you're, you're recovering and that you're here doing the podcast this evening. Um, you know, obviously not just as my co-host, but also, you know, one of my very close friends, I uh, was very, um, you know, concerned and, and I'm incredibly grateful that you're on this show and you're communicating amazing as you always do. And I know you're going to get back to full strength and, you know, you're going to be better than ever. So I want to, first of all, say that, and it's just, it's truly, um, admirable and really impressive that you're, you're on this show, um, you know, so, so shortly after the incident happened. Um, so as far as, uh, treasured inspirational stories for this year, um, I'd actually, I'd like to highlight uh, the story of a patient of mine. And, um, you know, this patient uh, I've been seeing for, for over a year now. They are, um, you know, attending the, the psychiatric practice uh, that I'm also working at at this moment. And um, they've been dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder for a long time. 
um, due to something very difficult that happened to them when uh, throughout their childhood. And um, this person in the past couple of months has, after 35 years of, of coping with this condition and, and basically fighting to survive, you know, fighting for their life, um, they're now in a place of, of recovery and they're actually uh, now volunteering to speak um, at some events uh, that are devoted to uh, post-traumatic stress disorder awareness and research. And um, that's, it's really inspirational because I, I know what they've been through and um, it's pretty unimaginable. So um, I would highlight that, of course, there have been some inspirational stories in the world of sports, as always, um, you know, been tuning into the World Cup the last couple of weeks and some great stories there. The, the run to the semifinals of, of Morocco um, was really cool to watch and some of the players bringing out um, their children onto the field. But uh, yeah, Merrick, I have to say, I'd put your story right up there. Um, and, and you being on the podcast tonight is, is um, one of the most inspirational stories of the year, for sure. And um, I will gladly say thank you for your um, uh, co-captainship. And, uh, you know, it's uh, been quite uh, a year. Um, the flu, a stroke, but, you know, flying alone, uh, getting that first date. There have been so many highs and lows just in the course of one year. And it is just so crazy that it's that it's been a year. And hopefully, um, my uh, accomplishments and my um, you know progression will continue on, and so will yours. And I can't wait to. Uh, listen to the stories and listen to the podcast as it is for uh, December of 2023. And what year have, ha, have they um, witnessed? Has, <clears throat> has myself and Nate witnessed um, for 2023. And it is such an interesting uh, concept. And I will uh, look forward to it, to having a wonderful 2023. Yes, and, very well said. Yeah. yeah. We'd like to wish uh, all of our listeners a happy holiday and um, 
you know, we hope that you have a wonderful time with family and, you know, we, um, we'll, we'll see you in the, in the new year and hopefully, um, you know, wishing everyone a, a very happy and a healthy new year. Um, you know, uh, keep, keep Merrick and your thoughts here. And well, I think that no co-host ship is complete without two. And so, <laughs> yes, I will. I I hope to keep me and my to keep me in some thoughts, but I wish you the best. And I wish you, uh, whoever can come out and champion uh, Chicago pizza, I will want to see your trophy uh, at at this at at uh, maybe the next uh, month will be. Uh, you know, uh, a Chicago pizza styled debate club trophy. Okay. I like it. Maybe, uh, yeah, I'll send you a pizza for the, the recording next month. So we can, you know, we could have our chat and we can eat pizza while we do it. <laughs> of course. Um, What's that? Luminaldi's? Luminaldi's? Good memory. Yeah, Luminaldi's is my favorite pizza place in Chicago. And they actually, I promise I'm not affiliated with them, but they actually ship their frozen pizzas around the country because they're such a, a loyal fan base and, and a following all over the country. Okay, so basically I will hold you up to it. <laughs> I will maybe next month, maybe February. I'll hold you to it that in case New York pizza wins, that I will have to uh, abide by the pizza box on my doorstep. That is New York pizza, but Chicago <laughs> pizza. I guess I will have to abide by, uh, let's see, the home run pizza, um, uh, well, grocery store uh, baked good that is incredible. It's baked pizza. So um, I would like to thank you all for um, another year. And I'd like to thank you all for um, the way that, um, that the staff has been so supportive of me and the staff has been so supportive of all of us for the podcast, Nate and me, and I, I like to see this continue on for another year. And 
I hope to see you soon in January of 2023. Wonderful. And, and so, as the yearly tradition, for I wish that I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, oh, like a butterfly. Moth is a butterfly without any colors But what's beautiful is what's inside Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide Well I'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head but my feet on the ground Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky Like a butterfly I wish that I could fly so high like a butterfly, I fly into the air so high. Oh, like a butterfly, like a bird, I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours, you can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind. In the future, your eyes will light up to think that I was once a poor caterpillar. Like a flock of butterflies I wish I could fly So high Oh, like a butterfly I'll fly into the air So high Just like a butterfly I'm a butterfly